Hello, I'm Merrick Schneider. Welcome to this podcast of articles from the Wall Street Journal, a presentation of Airs LA. You are listening to this recording, which is provided for the use of those who are blind or print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyrighted property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. Today's first article is titled, When the Dog Eats Your Apple Air Tag, by Dalvin Brown. We'll follow that up with an article by Sarah Needleman, Mangled Voice-to-Text Messages Are Embarrassing Users. Then, Noam Newser has an article, Only Bad Writers Should Fear Chat GPT. Then, an article by... um, Heard on the Street column, Janoon Lee, a $1.23 a gallon California mystery. And then our final article today will be by Peter Funt, Sadness and Static as AM Stations Fade. So let's begin with today's first article When the Dog Eats Your Apple Air Tag. Colin Mortimer knew there was trouble when his dog Sassy started beeping. He'd been trying to locate a lost AirTag, the $29 Bluetooth device designed by Apple to help people keep tabs on their keys, luggage, and other personal items. This particular AirTag normally attaches to his other dog's collar, letting him keep track of her location. After looking under the couch and table and enlisting his girlfriend to help search their two-bedroom house in Washington, D.C., Mr. Mortimer turned to his iPhone. The 25-year-old fired up Apple's Find My App, which showed that the white, bottle-cap-sized disc was still in his home. He tapped the button on his iPhone to trigger the ad tag to beep. That's when he heard coming from the belly of Sassy, a 50-pound Labrador Retriever foster pup. I was like, oh my God, said Mr. Mortimer, director of a public policy organization. Luckily, we got her to throw it up. The AirTag, which was personalized with a puppy emoji, has a few bite marks but still works. He bought a new $7 plastic holder from Amazon and reattached the tracker to the collar of his older lab, Sophie, he said. In the two years since Apple began selling AirTags, The devices have helped countless people find their long-lost belongings. Apple doesn't advertise or recommend air tags for pet tracking, but many people have attached them to dog collars. They're dustproof and water-resistant and have replaceable batteries that last a year. They're also the right size for bigger dogs to swallow whole. Vets have posed have warned people of the hazards, posting x-rays online of air tags inside dogs. Often, dogs can vomit them up or poop them out with no major complications. Sometimes, they get stuck and require minor surgery. If they remain lodged long enough, the batteries can leak and cause complications, such as damage to organs. You want to get the air tag out as quickly as possible, said Ad Honinas, senior veterinarian at the Schwartzman Animal Medical Center in New York, Pronto. Sarah Dwight, 
24, and her fiancé, Justin Lackey, 24, of Phoenix, returned home from the gym in December and noticed small bits of plastic and metal strewn around their dog's cage, where the couple put her while they were out to keep her out of trouble. This time while they were out, the Fiat-coated retriever named Rose pawed off her leather air tag holder, tore it up, and gnawed through parts of Apple's tracker. The couple rushed Rose and the air tag pieces to a nearby clinic where a vet performed an x-ray. That showed fragments Rose likely could throw up, Ms. Dwight said. Luckily, the battery was eventually found in parts of the air tag the pup didn't ingest. We got the air tag thinking it was a really awesome idea to be able to find the dog if it were to get out, Ms. Dwight said. But we didn't stop and question what are the drawbacks. The dog never showed signs that anything out of the ordinary had happened, Ms. Dwight said. If you asked Rose, she'd probably say that night was a great time. She got carried around, got to meet people at the vet. She got lots of kisses and lots of attention, Ms. Dwight added. Dogs of all size chew household items for a range of reasons, including curiosity, boredom, and loneliness, vets say. David Hood, owner of St. Bernard Veterinary Hospital in Chalmette, Louisiana, said a 25-pound French bulldog was among six dogs he treated after swallowing air tags over the past 18 months. Younger pups are more prone to eating odd objects, Dr. Hohenhaus said, but even old dogs ingest items they shouldn't. Vets also say dogs that nibble on other items with batteries, such as remotes and gaming controllers, or a small object like coins, might find an air tag appealing. There is something about some dogs' personalities that make them want to eat non-food items, Dr. Hohenhaus said. Minutes before leaving for vacation, Yvonne Rojas, 34, noticed the air tag she had attached to her six-month-old puppy's collar the previous week was missing. I thought, my God, I hope she didn't eat it, Miss Rojas said of her Belgian Malinois named Luna. The family took Luna with them on their drive to Orlando. Ms. Rojas tried locating the air tags using Apple's Find My App, but its location wasn't updating and she couldn't make it beep, she said. While on the week-long trip, the, pe- the puppy ate, drank, and behaved normally, so Ms. Rojas assumed the air tag was possibly left back home or came out in Luna's poop somewhere. Finally, during the 90-minute drive back home to Oldsmar, Florida, she realized something was amiss when an iPhone notification said the lunar tracker was on Interstate 4 with them. Ms. Rojas took the dog to the vet the next day, where an x-ray revealed the air tag inside Luna's stomach. Induced vomiting didn't get it out. Surgery didn't either, because the vet couldn't find the air tag. Sometime between the x-ray and the surgery, the air tag had moved inside her stomach, Ms. Rojas said. The vet stitched up Luna and sent her home. About six weeks later, after Luna recovered and as her owners prepared for a second attempt at surgery, they got another shock. In the middle of the night, I heard her start going, gulp, gulp, Ms. Rojas said. I shook my husband, babe, wake up, she's about to, and sure enough, she threw it up. 
Luna went on as if nothing ever happened. The air tag still works. Ms. Rojas now uses it to track her purse. It's a souvenir at this point. And now the article, Mangled Voice to Text Messages are Embarrassing Users. Instead of typing on a keyboard, Michelle Nevis writes social media posts with her mouth, for better or worse. Ms. Nevis, a retired federal correction officer in New York City, uses a feature on her phone that instantly converts her speech into text. The shortcut saves her time and energy, but it has killed her appetite for accuracy. On Twitter and Facebook, mentions of her friend Jeannie come out as Jeannie. Another who goes by the sobriquet McCarthy comes out as Sloppy. Tired of correcting the flubs, Miss Nevis now refers to her pals by their new monikers. They just accept that, she says. Technology that transcribes speech in real time keeps growing in popularity, and so do our potential for gaffes. They've become so common that some people, such as Miss Nevis, have made regular mistakes part of their vocabulary, while others have learned to decode the gibberish their family and friends send. In the United States, around 82 million people used Alphabet's Google Assistant and about 77 million used Apple's Siri at least once a month last year to handle oral commands, including writing text messages, emails, and social media posts, according to Insider Intelligence. Both numbers were up 12% or more from 2020, and the firm did not count manual triggering of speech transcription on phones or laptops. The technology allows people to avoid the scrounge of typing on their on tiny smartphone screens. Others rely on it for crafting copy hands-free, such as while driving. The risk is it tends to turn words into mumbo-jumbo, pick up nearby voices, and introduce off-putting language. On social media, users warn against using certain words like chalk and the shorthand P and S, lest the talk-to-text app thinks it's a reference to male anatomy. While dictating a text about golfing to his former boss last summer, Matt Shelton uttered, Great shot before hitting sin. As he waited for a reply, Mr. Shelton, an insurance agent in Winfield, Kansas, looked back at the transcription in Hara. Shot was misspelled by one letter, turning it into an expletive. I was mortified, recalls Mr. Shelton, because his former boss never swears. It would be different if he cussed like a sailor. Misfires can just be as awkward within families. Lily Kaufman, a Baltimore hospital employee who was signal, dictated a message that referred to her cat, Annie, and sent it to her mother. What her mother got was a text saying her daughter was under the covers with Andy, A-N-D-Y, keeping each other warm. Andy is also unfortunately the name of my uncle, Miss Kaufman says. You're just trying to send a text message and they can't even get that right. Some learn to decode botched transcriptions. Lauren Azevedo, while traveling abroad for work last spring, 
texted her father asking to be filled in on the action in a Boston Bruins hockey game. Driss lick it out, Lynn holes in, he replied. Translation, Matt Gerlich has left the rink and Hampus Hinglom is playing. Miss Acevedo figured it out right away. I didn't even blink, she says. Researchers who study speech transcription say it is unrealistic to expect error-free copy. Slang, acronyms, and background noise can skew results, and most talk-to-text programs are designed to accommodate only English that is spoken with a common North American accent. Sam Liang, originally from China, can relate. While developing Otter.ai Incorporated, a speech transcription tool, the program initially wrote out references to its own name as Other. The company founder, who lives in Mountain View, California, blamed his Chinese accent for the flub. He has since trained Otter to recognize its own name. Users can do the same with a word by selecting the software's personal vocabulary feature, he says. Talk-to-type programs have improved thanks to the rise of machine learning, a subset of artificial intelligence that also makes speech transcription more efficient by studying large collections of language patterns to guess what users are going to say. We're fairly predictable, says Cousman Montu, a human-computer interaction scholar in Waterloo, Ontario. The moment we go off script, things go sideways, he adds. With improv comedy, it would not work very well. Numbers can be a challenge. Shortly before Christmas, Arthur Virtual, a retail worker in Tallahassee, Florida, overheard his father citing a recipe for a spicy bean dish into a smartphone app that texted it to a friend. The medley included crushed red pepper flakes, calling for three to four tablespoons. Having received texts from his father chock full of errors, Mr. Vanderschwalt couldn't help but peek at the message and saw it said to use 34 tablespoons. It was astronomically off, he says. Another thing to remember about the technology, it has a switch. While driving down a two-lane road, Angela Woodman, a nurse in Ontario, dictated a text to her boss. Finished, she proceeded to cuss at the driver in front of her for going too slow. Then she hit send. What she hadn't done was turn off the microphone. Minutes later, as it dawned on her what the text was going to say to her boss, she quickly sent an apology. Sebastian Otto wasn't even aware he had turned his phone mics on when he started typing a text the old-fashioned way to his boss and then paused to say, I love you, to his son. We love you too, his boss replied. I was like, oh my goodness, what did I just do, says Mr. Otto, a marketing professional in Briarcliff Manor, New York. And now the article by Noam Newser. Only bad writers should fear chat GPT. People seem to think that OpenAI's chat GPT, a chat box powered by artificial intelligence, is going to put many writers out of business or make writing bland, or both. 
but perhaps that's not a bad thing. With the rise of the Internet, we're inundated with more writing than ever, and most of it is mediocre. On social media platforms like Twitter, everyone gets a license to be a short-form editorial writer, uninhibited by an editor or boss writing them for accuracy and relevance. Are public debates over ideas and policies any more informed or enlightened for having these truncated opinion pieces? You know the answer. Journalism has the opposite problem. Journalistic writing once had to fit into a set number of column inches. Now, the digital news hole is infinite, so most news stories go on and on without a sense of restraint, but with dwindling quality. No wonder ChatGPT's most immediate application is on digital news, tech, and social gossip sites desperate to keep readers engaged with whatever content sticks to the wall. And look at corporate writing. It's either cliche-ridden, meaningless fluff, or rife with jargon. Either way, most of it is utterly forgettable. Academics aren't much better. Their writing, especially in the humanities and social sciences, is so arcane and technical that most of it is never read, even by other academics. Maybe robots should get a shot at taking over some of this workday prose. Who wouldn't mind a robot-generated statement that clearly articulates a company's strategy without referring to the time-worn cliches of paradigm shift or optimized performance? What's so bad about an academic paper written in language that any keen learner could understand? Would you turn up your nose at concise, fact-rich reporting on recent news? I think people fear robot writers because they do their job well, maybe even better than humans do. Some will contend that chat GPT skills are limited and lacking in style, but so what? Sure, it can't write a masterful piece of prose or a profound novel, but most of what we read isn't that good anyway, even the stuff written by people. As long as artificial intelligence produces instruction manuals that are clear and corporate policies that provide direction, that's good enough for me. A robot might even manage to summarize important historical events without taking potshots at contemporary political figures. That is, of course, if ChatGPT manages to fix its left-leaning tilt. Those would all be welcome improvements. What about the writers who remain? They'll be, ele- they'll be able to elevate their craft to higher purposes or at the very least create something truly original. Consider how portrait artists responded to the invention of photography. The best ones excelled in Impressionism, Cubism, and other movements of modern art. Art didn't disappear, it simply shifted its gaze. Whether you want them or not, the robot writers are coming. Soon we will be able to generate solid writing as easily as we use internet search engines. We'll get practical results that work for practical purposes. But when something new or weighty needs to be shared, we will turn to human writers who have the gift of conveying the unexpressed thought in words that are original and artful. That's the kind of writing humans should do. And if that's our destiny, we should embrace it even if fewer of us do the work. 
And now a $1.23 a gallon California mystery. Why do California drivers pay so much for gas? California's retail gas price was $4.32 a gallon in December 2022, while it was $3.09 a gallon on average elsewhere in the United States. That's a $1.23 per gallon difference. There are some quantifiable sources of the California premium. Higher state gas taxes are one reason. The state's clean air policies are, the, are another. These include a cap-and-trade program for greenhouse gas emissions, a low-carbon fuel standard, and a fee for the abatement of leaking underground storage. California also mandates a cleaner burning gasoline, which adds around 10 cents a gallon. Tally all of those California-specific costs up, though, and it comes out to about $1.09 a gallon, or $0.80 more than what the average state gas tax is elsewhere in the United States, according to calculations by Professor Severin Borenstein at the University of California, Berkeley's Haas School of Business, based on the monthly average for December 2022. But that still leaves a $0.43 per gallon difference not explained by California-specific tax and air policy-related costs. The premium surfaced after an explosion occurred at a Torrance, California refinery back in 2015. While a disruption like that could cause a temporary spike, it has lasted long after the refinery restarted in 2016. In all, Mr. Borenstein estimates that what he calls a mysterious gasoline surcharge has cost California drivers almost $50 billion in eight years. Who is capturing those profits? It doesn't appear to be refineries, at least not directly. The price differential between California's spot wholesale gasoline and the dirtier few used elsewhere in the United States has been fairly consistent before and after the Torrance refinery fire. That means the surcharge shows up between the refineries and consumer gas tanks. One important aspect to consider, there is less competition among California's retail fuel stations compared with other states. Elsewhere, they typically have razor-thin margins on fuel and make up for it by selling things like coffee and lottery tickets. California has twice as many drivers per gas station as the rest of the country, according to consulting firm Stillwater Associates. While the number of licensed drivers in California grew 14% between 2010 to 2020, the number of stations grew 5%. True, Californians drive more electric vehicles than any other state, but as of 2021, they accounted for only 1.6% of vehicles registrations there. Fuel margins at California's gas stations were about 79 cents a gallon on average in 2022, 80% higher than the 44 cents a gallon nationwide average, according to data from Oil Price Information Service, an energy data firm that is part of Dow Jones and Company publisher of the Wall Street Journal. In Texas, where the margin was thinnest, it was 26 cents. 
Opus tracks the difference between the average price retailers charge for gasoline at their station and the price a refiner or distributor charges at the distribution point, known as the rack price. That isn't to say all retail gas stations are collecting rich margins. What is unique about California is that a large share of its gas stations are still owned by refiners or have long-term contracts that give refiners significant control over fuel prices. In such a system, a branded station with a long-term contract is locked into buying their gasoline from a specific supplier, say Chevron, Shell, or Valero, and can't shop around if prices look more attractive at the rack. That is to say, some of that big California premium could be going back to oil companies and refiners. Tom Kloza, Global Head of Energy Analysis at OPIS, said that while his firm can track prices at the racks, there is little visibility on what price refiners or oil companies charge to fuel stations with which they have long-term contracts. Why wouldn't fat margins attract more new gas stations? Part of it could be that California's state-level policies all point towards a faster transition away from gasoline. Opening a new gas station looks unappetizing, and some cities aren't even allowing it. And less Alexandra Magnuso, policy manager for the California Fuels and Convenience Alliance, a trade group, said the cost of doing business is simply higher in California. But those factors existed before the Torrance explosion, making it difficult to tie it to the California premium. Professor Borenstein says there needs to be an investigation into how much cost these regulations impose and how many gas stations have been forced to shut down because of them. Governor Gavin Newsom has proposed a price gouging penalty on what he says are oil companies' excess profits. Politicians blaming high pump prices, but not low ones, on big oil is nothing unique. But California leaders may be right in this case. They should also look in the mirror and consider the burden of regulation. Oil companies and retail gas stations may well be taking large profits, but the blame can't be entirely on the companies if policies deter competition. Mr. Newsom's other proposal, expanding California agencies' ability to investigate the cause of pricing irregularities seems like an important step if it helps the state identify exactly where California's gas premium goes and why. Ironically, California's gas price premium illustrates that, far from punishing the fossil fuel industry, a rapid shift can be a bonanza for gas stations and refiners that stick around. As Mr. Glossa puts it, it's a sunset industry but it's going to be a beautiful sunset. And now the article by Peter Funt, Sadness and Static as AM Stations Fade. When I lived in Denver in the early 1970s, Sunday nights included an audio excursion to my hometown of New York, a trip only AM radio could provide. At 770 on a dial, I listened to WABC, with its distinctive disc jockeys, rock music, and news at 25 and 55, 
via a signal traveling more than 1,600 miles. This magic was possible only for a few hours when station KOB in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which shared the 7-7 frequency, 770 frequency, shut down for maintenance. With the competing signal out of the way, WABC sound was able to travel far west, literally bouncing off the ionosphere. That's a trick unique to AM, amplitude modulation radio waves. They are subject to static interference, but are longer and can travel much farther than FM, frequency modulation waves, which don't move well through large obstacles such as mountains. As children, many of us built crystal sets that pulled in AM signals from near and, with luck, far. As teens, AM transistor radios were constant companions until we were old enough to drive and AM car radios provided the soundtracks of our lives. Cars have helped AM radio survive. Drive time, the hours in the morning and evening when people commute, is when AM stations carrying primarily news and talk, make most of their money. So it is sad to see that some car makers are giving it up, are giving up on AM, a move that could have the unintended consequences of hastening the medium's demise. Several European car makers, including Audi, BMW, Porsche, Volkswagen, and Volvo, have stopped putting AM radios in certain models. Trendy EVs and hybrids have electrical systems that interfere with AM audio. But rather than moving a few parts around or shielding the equipment better, manufacturers are cutting out AM. American automakers are taking a more cautious approach, but Tesla has already eliminated AM radios, and Ford plans to drop AM from its electric pickup trucks. It's no small matter since about 47 million Americans still listen to programming on the AM dial, according to Nielsen data. Many AM stations, such as All News WINS in New York City, have added simulcasts on FM to retain their audience. Hundreds of stations are also available on the Internet. But AM remains the medium of choice for certain types of broadcasts, notably conservative talk. According to Talkers Magazine, the most popular political voices on radio are the conservatives Sean Hannity, Mark Levine, and Brian Kilmeade. AM signals travel farther at night than during the day when there is no interference from the sun rays. Truckers, shift workers, and people living in remote areas have long supported overnight programs some of which dwell on UFOs, the supernatural, and all sorts of fantasies. Most popular by far is Coast to Coast AM, hosted by the smooth-talking George Norrie. Early in my career, I was a regular on a similar program originating at WMCA in New York and hosted by a character who called himself Long John Nebel. John favored conspiracy theories and chatter about space aliens. It was mostly nonsense, the kind you wouldn't want to hear on a sleek FM signal. AM's strange tales at night and rock music by day seemed to benefit from a touch of static, 
along with the notion that the broadcasts originated from far away. I'm sure I'll learn to live without AM radio, as I have with other outmoded media such as CD players. But I once heard Long John Nebel muse about how radio waves never fully disappear. They're out there somewhere for all time. Sounds good to me. That brings us to the end of today's articles. I'm Merrick Schneider, and I'll be back soon with more articles. Thank you for listening.